Welcome to For the Sake of What, a podcast to help you become unstuck in everyday life by offering you a different perspective. Each episode will provide some tips and tools for looking at life differently and for leading yourself to be your own version of success. My name is Diane and I am your host. Hi, it's Diane here again, and welcome to episode five of the For Sake of What podcast. Today, we've got a special treat for you because I have a friend and fellow coach joining me today. His name is Connor O'Malley, and he is an executive coach who calls himself the CEO's caddy, but he's also recently just written an amazing book, which is called Trust Begins and Ends with Self. So today, we've inv- I've invited Connor along to have a chat to us about trust and his take on his book and, and what trust means in everyday life for everyday people. So hi, Connor, welcome to the podcast. Deanne, it's lovely to be here. Thanks very much. Wonderful opportunity. And to your listeners, um, it's great to uh, great to have you on the show. Thanks for listening. Thank you. So I've read your book and it, I think it's actually quite amazing. So well done. It's, it's a great effort. Um, Thank you. One of the things I noticed, I thought I'd jump in right now and get a plug in for both of us. One of the things I noticed is in chapter five, you talk about for the sake of what? which is pretty cool because, as you know, it's the name of the podcast. So I thought I'd just have a bit of a chat to you. Like, what's your take on for the sake of what? Well, I think it's one of the key things that I use clearly in the book um, in that particular chapter, but it kind of runs through um, a theme itself. And it's something I use in my executive coaching practice, and it's also something I use on a very personal basis. So as I say in the book, it's an ultimate or it's the ultimate self-accountability question. At, At any time of our life, Uh, we can actually say, you know, for the sake of what am I about to do this? So picture ourselves in a a meeting and you're about to say something and you just just take a little moment yourself and say, for the sake of what am I about to say this? What is my purpose? What's my intent? How am I going to say it? But really, so it's deeper than why. So I know a lot of people talk about why I think for the sake of what has a deeper, deeper meaning to it. So it can be in the moment the ultimate self-accountability question in the moment. Might even, you know, you're on your third pint and you think, am I gonna have my fourth pint? I've got to play golf tomorrow, maybe. I won't have my fourth pint. Um, It can also link to your purpose. So at a deeper level, uh, I believe this this notion of for the sake of what can link to our purpose, which is, I guess, you know, it's not in the moment as a broader thing. How many times do each of us think about our purpose? Not not very often. Um, So it can be at a kind of in the moment situation, and I believe it can work at a, at a deeper level um, to, you know, towards our purpose, if you like. That's really cool. And I tend to agree with you. I actually think that um, it tends to just really get to the core of why you're taking the action that you're taking. And um, do you mind if I share a story? Is that okay? No, please do. Please do. So, so I was with a friend one day who was sending an email and um, they were really annoyed. They were replying to an email that had really annoyed them. And they said, look, you know, I'm not really sure that, this email is what I should be sending. So can you check it for me? And anyway, I started to check it and I got a couple of sentences in and um, I said, look, I've got a question. For the sake of what are you actually including that line? And the person said, because I want to prove to them that they're an idiot and this is just really stupid. And then they said, yeah, I'll delete it, won't I? We got a little bit further in and I said, "Um, for the sake of what are you putting that line in? And they went, yeah, I'm deleting that. And before you ask, I'm deleting the next two lines as well. So, and, yeah. and um, the resulting email actually got the outcome that they wanted, which was actually quite interesting. But I think it can be, that's just a very simple example, I think, of um, 
how useful it can be in, I guess, leading us towards making deliberate choices about who we want to be and what we want to do in life, I guess. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, to, to take your email story uh, to another level, or not to another level, to another domain, if you like, is, you know, that email is using language, clearly. Yep. It's, it's writing down, it's using language. So we can also use this notion of hashtag for the sake of what, as I do, um, is in our conversations. So for the sake of what am I about to have this conversation? And as you and I both know, there's this work that we do with our clients called types of conversations. Yep. And we can go, you know, for the sake of what am I about to have this conversation? And then what I do is I add, you know, this notion of the KPI, if you like, the key performance indicator. You know, what is it that I want to get from this conversation? I may not necessarily achieve it, but at least when I go into the conversation, I've got an outcome in mind, my KPI. So if we, before we actually start any conversation or go into a meeting, I was actually with a client yesterday who was uh, thinking about this particular uh, meeting this client had with somebody who uh, she'd only met for the second time. And on that basis, there was a kind of, well, for the sake of what are you about to have this meeting? What do you want to get from it? You know what the other person wants to get from it, but actually are your objectives, your KPIs aligned? So we had a conversation about perhaps what this other person wanted to get from it, but also, well, is that what you want to get? No, I want to get something different. All right, well, let's have a conversation. So for the sake of what do you want to have this conversation? And it actually came out about curiosity. The person I was working with is actually genuinely curious as opposed to concerned that they wouldn't actually deliver what the other person wanted. And it changed the whole, I'll use the word now, mood. It changed the mood yeah. of this individual who went to have that uh, conversation with somebody. And mm -hmm. I know, because I've had feedback, that, that both parties had a much more successful conversation. And that literally came from asking this question, hashtag for the sake of what, do you want to have this conversation? And what is your KPI? What's your output that you actually want? So, Dan, it's the name of your podcast. It's in my book. So anybody listening, my goodness me, hashtag for the sake of what, it uh, it's going to hold you hold you strong in in uh, in in your in your life. Thank you. Yes, I, I think it is a, a pretty cool question. Actually, I think it's a question that really forces us to think deeply about what we're doing and and how we want to be in life. So um, so tell me a little bit more about trust and and your model, um, your trust model. Like, uh, so gosh, I, I well I I call the model in the book um, a new ordering of trust. Um, and, it, and it really came about through looking at trust in society and trust in leadership and trust in self. So those are the three core elements, if you like, that, uh, again, I, I felt by observing trust in the world, that there are three areas that really, um, especially trust in society, is, is, is being challenged. Yep. So the, you know, gosh, not to get too deep into it, but in essence, you know, the title in a way says it all, I hope. It, trust begins and ends with self. So we can look internally and say, do I, do I trust myself? And my definition of trust, kind of on page you know, three or two, two I think it is, of, of the book, I don't know the actual page number, but you know, right there in the front is uh, my definition of trust as a verb, as opposed to as a noun, is delivering on your commitments to self and others. That's and I nice. on purpose put in self and others because we all make commitments to ourselves and we also make commitments on behalf of others, uh, sorry, to others, I should say, we make commitments to others, but it comes from our own way of being. So to really know that we're gonna deliver on that commitment, we have to trust ourselves. So from a framework perspective, 
do do we trust ourselves? And then the model goes into a broader um, what is trust in relationships on a one to one basis, and and how do we build relationships and create this trust, which I believe is around delivering on your commitments, and it's this other area I talk about, uh, what I call the risk framework of trust, R I S C C. R is reliable, I is invested, S is sincere, and the two C's are capable and capacity. So, but if you really look at the, the two that I think are very focused on relationships is the I and the S. Am I invested in you? If I say I'm gonna do something, am I invested in doing it for you? Does it take care of what matters to you in your life? Uh, we might say your concerns. And I have to be sincere in that. So the person at the other end, the other side of this commitment is going, Connor says he's invested. Everything he's saying looks like he's invested in me, but is he sincere? So there's this, this duopoly of, of two people with this I and the S. Uh, is he invested in me? Yeah, I think he is. Is he sincere in that investment? Absolutely. So that's more of a noun. So trust, delivering on your commitments to self and others as a verb, and this notion of R-I-S-C-C, more in a descriptor in terms of a, of a noun. Um, and then if you take the model to, to its end, I then move on to talk about trust in teams. So for a, for a business owner, a business leader, or anybody who leads or manages anybody, you know, what is the trust in your team? How are you building trust in your team? And how does your team trust you? And if I'm working with a senior leader, a, 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 you know, a managing director, that team is actually the organization, the company. And I mentioned society, um, and that's, you know, as a, uh, a leader in society, are you trusted as a leader in society? And what is your role as that leader in society? And also, what does trust mean? You know, it doesn't have to be a leadership. How do we, what is it in society, a, a, an organization, you know, their brand, what they deliver on, you know, whoever it is that, that provides a service, uh, or is it an institution, or is it, the, the, the media, state, government, you know, how do we trust that thing, if you like, in society? Um, and then it's certainly not a, a space that I'm, you know, um, overly familiar with, uh, other than having done some research and what I believe myself, I talk about this notion of trust in universal energy. So is there something bigger than all of us? And, and I make the point that, you know, it could be Christianity, it could be Muslim, it could be Hindu, it could be, you know, it could be the Ganges River, for example, or it could be if you're a cosmos person and a universalist, it could be trusting the cosmos. But I guess I put out there, is there something that we find uh, or place our trust in that is ephemeral, that is bigger than, you know, you, you can't touch it, as it were. It's, it's a belief or it's something that, that um, you know, is bigger than all of us. And what I find is that if we do choose to go to that space in life, then it probably takes us to an inner way of being, maybe meditation, maybe a quiet mind, uh, mindfulness, any of those types of things. And the irony of that is that that ends up with self. So in that yeah. idea, trust begins and ends with self. Actually, I really like when I was reading your book and looking at the model, I really like how it starts or begins and ends with self. I thought that was a really nice touch and, and yeah, just very beautiful, I thought. And actually, that leads me into something that was occurring to me while you were talking. And, you know, as you know, I have a, a, had a bit of a journey and a bit of a story of my own where um, I had a time a few years back where self-doubt was a big thing for me. 
And as I was listening to you, I was thinking, gee, it's pretty interesting actually how many, just where trust can actually feature in how we're being in life and what that's helping us to create. Like, you know, I hadn't really drawn the connection between self-doubt and trust. I mean, it seems a bit silly now that I hadn't, but I hadn't drawn the connection between self-doubt and trust in self. And, um, yeah, I think that's actually quite interesting, isn't it? Once you start to think about it, trust in self really does underpin a lot of how we're being and what we're doing, doesn't it? I, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, as, as I think we, we both know from the world that we operate in with our clients, Deanne, is um, this notion of our stories and what stories that we're telling ourselves. And, you know, I really believe that the, the self-narrative that we have that comes from, you know, our culture. So the yeah. culture that we're born into the family environment that we have grown up in, whatever that might be. And I do acknowledge that some people haven't grown up in a, in a, you know, a family environment per se. So, you know, I think I really do want to acknowledge that some of the listeners might, might uh, be in that situation. Um, and then also our lived experience. So those are all parts of our self narrative. And what we can do is we can question ourselves in a very purposeful way, what I call observe, um, what are my narratives? And, and a question that we can also ask ourselves is, is this serving me well? Now, as coaches, you might ask, and I'm sure you have, is that serving you well? But it's actually something we can ask ourselves. Is what I'm telling myself, is this serving me well? And if it's not, okay, well, how can I change the narrative? So yeah. that's, a, that's part of trusting ourselves too, is, is understanding the stories and the narratives that, that we, we tell ourselves in our inner listening. And it's kind of a bit ironic, actually, when you think about it, is that we a lot of our stories and narratives come from our past experience in life, whether that's, like you said, culture or upbringing or um, just our interactions with, ex, with society and our lived experience. But it's almost like we've trusted the knowledge or trusted the learning that we've actually gained from these former interactions in life and former experiences. But ironically some of those um, experiences and, and that learning leads us to not trusting ourselves. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely an irony there. I yeah. think that's, that's very true. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, like, you know, when you think of, um, you know, I just think of some of my issues with uncertainty, for example, like I, I can pick up on story and I won't, but I can pick up on stories in my um, lived experience from, you know, various parts of my life that have probably led to me not being able to deal with uncertainty or to me, um, having the self-doubt experience that I've had. And it's quite interesting that I put my trust in, um, you know, the learning that I had and that's where it led to. But on the same token, if you've learnt it once, you can always relearn it, hey. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. Or, and also um, there's this notion of unlearning, you know, yes. re rewiring. Um, so, you know, how, how, do we, how do we at times unlearn to enable ourselves yeah. to be learners? Um, and, and that's such an important part of, uh, uh, I would say, having a fulfilling life um, is, is being a learner and in some cases um, having to unlearn what we, what we felt was the case before. And I think that unlearn or that relearning in a way leads into what you call observe, choose, act. I have something similar, which I call be, do, learn. But, um, yeah, I think that leads into like your observe, choose, act model, which I think is actually really succinct and really lovely. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't know whether you want to talk a little bit more about your observe choose act. 
I'm very happy to. Um, and as you say, I'm sure it's a, it's akin to to your um, your model too. So observe is how we observe ourselves first. So you could say in a, in a different way how we trust ourselves, but I would say how we observe ourselves in the domain of language and as we both work in moods and emotions. So what is my mood? What's my emotion? Where's my energy? and our physiology and I talk about our sensing and noticing of our physiology so that's observe the other observe is observe the external environment so what is it that I'm seeing around me and from a leadership perspective which ostensibly is where I, I work is what is the leader observing in their environment so there's I'll say an inside out and in a way there's an outside in um, but make no mistake the way you observe the environment externally comes from, I would, we would both say, comes from your way of being and your own stories yeah. and how you see things. And the choose, another word for choose is possibilities. So, so what possibilities do I see? What choices do I have in a particular situation? And then the act is the taking action. And uh, I, you, know, you, you mentioned earlier on about the CEO's caddy. So the metaphor that I would give you and I give the listeners here you know, I am a golfer, not a great one, but I am a golfer. And one of my friends, you know, said, mate, you're like the CEO's caddy, aren't you? And I went, well, kind of, what do you mean? And he, I was sharing with him this observe, choose, act. And he was like, well, it's like, you know, you're observing the, the lie of the ball. You're observing, you know, your hydration. You're observing your mind and how am I feeling on the second or third or fourth shot or whatever it is, you know. And then you're choosing. So, you know, what, what choice of club? What are my options? What are the possibilities? Is the ball under a tree or is it in the middle of the fairway? What's the lie? So what choices do I have? And then if you look at, if any of you, any of your listeners ever watch golf, watch the caddy and the caddy steps back. Typically will step back completely out of the frame. So when the television is showing the golf, all you will see is the golfer. And in the work that I do, I say that's the leader and the leader executes the shot takes the action, maybe has that meeting with a supplier, has that meeting with a customer, you know, has that challenging conversation with somebody who works in that person's team. That's the action. And then what, what does the caddy do? Steps back into the frame and said, okay, how'd you go? How did that go? What did you learn? What are your thoughts? And off you walk down the fairway, the same as in a business, in you go to the next meeting, you're going home and you start the whole process again. What did you observe? And part of that then is the learning. So what did you learn from that last shot that you executed? Or what did you learn from that meeting with that supplier or customer or conversation that you had? And we can do this in a family environment too. So what did you learn from that conversation? And then you go through again. Okay, well, let's observe. Let's choose. Let's take another action. That's, I think that's really lovely. And actually good that you picked up on the family part too, because I was actually going to say you know, most of your work is around um, you know, executive coaching and leadership and, and mine is probably more aimed towards just everyday people in everyday life but it doesn't matter who who we are and and what what we do and what we consider our roles are it's just as valid for anyone um, because we're all yeah because we're all observing the world and and creating stories based from who we're being in any given moment and and um, we're all yeah so it's about drawing attention to that isn't it and then choose it rather than just um, without realising, I guess, unwittingly going along with whatever happens to be the default action, just consciously noticing that and choosing it and then choosing the action. So absolutely, that's absolutely. very lovely. So tell me a little bit more then, um, what are your thoughts? Because I know like we've talked, your book, I guess, aims a lot at leadership in particular because that's where, you're, where your 
your efforts lie. But how would you relate, I guess, the um, trust idea and the trust model to everyday people in everyday life? Like what, what could somebody who's listening to the podcast now get from that, do you think? Oh, thanks, Dan. That's a great, really great question. And, and, and you know, as, as we discussed, uh, yes, I do kind of operate in that leadership domain. You know, however, your your listeners are not necessarily in that space. And it's it's so appropriate to um, find in this book, I hope, what is a, what is relevant to to your to your listeners and where that takes me is relationships. Now, we all have relationships. Yes, we have relationships at work and we also have relationships at home. And a critical element, I believe, to any effective relationship, and let's keep this in the personal as opposed to the professional domain, is this notion of the legitimate other. Now, what does that mean? The legitimate other is a phrase that we use in our coaching, and it's about how do we hold the person who we are in a relationship with as legitimate? Now, that does not mean that we have to um, agree with them. And I would actually say we don't even necessarily have to trust them per se in that context to hold them as the legitimate other. But what we do have to do, and I say have to unashamedly, what we do have to do to build effective relationships is understand where they're coming from. So if your stories are good for you and they drive your way of being and your way of doing, and they're good for me, well, arguably they're good for any person globally. We all have our stories. So by understanding and questioning and listening, by really consciously listening to where the other person is coming from, then we're holding them as the legitimate other. And the beauty of doing that is we can actually then, here's the irony, argue more vehemently in terms of two different points of view because we understand where the other person's coming from as opposed to saying, oh, that's just a load of rubbish. Yeah, no, don't agree. Well, it's like, really? Have you taken the time to understand where that person's coming from? And that's this notion of the legitimate other, is holding them as legitimate. And then the other key part to uh, relationships, again, and we're in the space of, let's say, personal rather than professional, is, and I go back to this word I, am I invested in you? And am I sincere in my investment in you? So what is it that I'm doing in this relationship that is for you? Now, there's a tipping point because we know that there are some people who do so much for other people that they don't look after themselves and they don't care for themselves. So there's a pendulum here, of course. But I think those are the two things that I would say I hope are, you know, meaningful for any listener to this podcast, be they in a leadership position or not, is uh, in relationships. And as I say, holding the other person as the legitimate other and being truly invested in that person, in that relationship and being sincere about that investment. And it's such a powerful concept, the legitimate other. I mean, that that thing about holding someone with, I guess, what is really deep respect, like it's just, it's incredibly powerful. And, and even um, I've noticed even in my own relationships and interactions with others, how it really does make a difference when you start to accept that, well, that's who the person is and that's that's what they're thinking and what they're feeling right now. I may not agree with it, but that's that's where they're at right now. And um, I think it kind of it sets a solid foundation for being able to just then, I think, make 
again, we always come back to choice, don't we? With this yeah, book. we do. We, but it sets the foundation for being able to make conscious choice, I think, about how we interact with them and, and everything. And I think, I think it's so powerful. And it was interesting. I remember when I first started to receive coaching and I learned about this whole way of being thing. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. You know, there are things that I think to myself and there are emotions that I'm in and I embody that in a certain way. And then one day, sometime um, later, sometimes it takes me a while to make connections, but some time later I thought, oh, hang on a minute. If I'm operating for a way of being, then everyone around me must be too. And everyone around me is is sitting in a meeting or, or whatever it happens to be with certain emotions and everything going on for them as well. So just why I'm trying to understand that I'm operating from a way of being and actually the reason I did that thing that I might not be so proud of right now is because I was operating from a way of being. So is everyone else in the room. So, and just being able to understand that, which I think then leads on to um, another key point and you're probably going to get there and I've probably just jumped ahead, but I find this really exciting, so I'm sorry, but um, is the legitimate self. Yes. I think um, the legitimate self, that, that was something that I guess I took a while to learn after the idea of the legitimate other and that point where you can understand, because I think there can be a, a risk when you start to think of the legitimate other, it's a little bit like you said a couple of minutes ago, start to kind of, um, where you said something along the lines of, being really invested in doing things for others and not necessarily taking care of yourself. And I can remember being in a situation um, where I had learnt the concept of the legitimate other and I was in this relationship or in a like a working relationship where I was trying to um, be compassionate towards the other person and consider how they might be being and holding them as legitimate. But I mistakenly took that to mean that I had to tolerate bad behaviours or behaviours that I didn't like. And it took me... Um, a little while to learn that well actually no me sitting there thinking that that was a bad behavior was also legitimate for where I was at in life too and to actually understand that and to understand why I was feeling it and to understand what action I wanted to take to deal with that was actually holding myself as legitimate and I think there's a beautiful sweet spot in a in any type of interaction or relationship where you can get to that point of holding someone else's legitimate whilst also holding yourself as legitimate. Absolutely. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And, and gosh, you, you've, you've described it so well. So what, how, you know, what can I add to that? You know, you might say boundaries might be what's just emerged for me when you were talking about that is what are the boundaries between, you know, holding myself as the legitimate self and holding somebody as the legitimate other. And in your case, as, as you say, not letting that behavior knock into your boundaries of, of legitimate self. I mean, I'll give you a story, an example from, from, from my own um, you know, on, on this is we can choose our relationships. Um, and, you know, uh, there's a, there's a, what emerged for me is there's a particular WhatsApp group that, that uh, you know, that I found myself part of and, you know, really enjoy. Uh, and, and there's not one person on that WhatsApp group that I'm not actually friends with. However, the chatter on that particular WhatsApp group I just found it just wasn't helpful to me. Um, you know, uh, some of the, you know, kind of stuff that was on, it was, you know, complaining about something or whatever. And I thought, you know, individually, I'm very comfortable with everybody on that particular chat, but I, I chose to e extract myself from that particular group of a WhatsApp chat. Now for me, that would be an example, a story, if you like, of, of holding myself as, as, as the legitimate self. Now, how did I hold them all as the legitimate other? I didn't say, hey, I'm taking myself off for these reasons. I just quietly exited. And individually, those, those uh, 
all guys came up and said, "Oh, mate, you know, yeah, no worries. You took yourself, you took yourself off. He's kind of no, no issue whatsoever." So there was, but we, I could have built myself. Oh my God, I want to take this myself off this particular WhatsApp group, and I just, I just quietly exited, no fanfare, and that for me would be an example of of the legitimate self um, and holding the other lads on this particular WhatsApp group as as legitimate others. Yeah, I think that's a really good example. I had a similar example where. I was working with somebody fairly new and this person um, decided that SMS was the way that they communicated with everything. And I'm not a huge SMSer unless um, it's someone that I feel quite close to because I, I feel like in today's society, everyone drops everything for technology. And so I feel like if I'm SMSing someone, it could potentially be interrupting them when, and I know it's their choice whether they're interrupted, but I just feel awkward about um so I'm more likely to send an email and then people can deal with it when they want to deal with it. But this person was very big on SMS and every conversation was via SMS and every email that I sent would never get replied via email, but it would always get an SMS. Yeah. And I had just been trained, which is probably why I didn't send other people SMSs. I had been trained that you drop everything for, or I had trained myself, I guess, to yeah. drop everything for SMSs. And I just felt overwhelmed by this barrage of SMSs. And so I started, and same thing, I didn't turn around and say, um, don't SMS me, which, you know, instead what I did was I just quietly took longer and longer to reply to the SMSs sure. and, and found ways of putting boundaries around my behaviours around the SMSs. Now it got to a point where the SMS traffic got to a point that was manageable for me and and something that worked for me in the relationship as well. And it also got to the point where um, the person started to use email a little bit more because I was probably more responsive on email yeah. and stuff. But they're just little things, I guess, that you can do when you start to understand that the other person's legitimate and so are you. So, yeah. Yeah, anyway. no, absolutely. All right. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, yeah, thanks for the chat. That's been really awesome. And um, it's just been really wonderful. What I'll do in the podcast notes is I'll make sure that I put some details around the book for people who might be interested and um, your name and the book name and everything so that we can do that. Is there anything else that you wanted to chat about before? Because we're probably getting close to time to go. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, very conscious again of, of, of your audience and your listeners. And I hope having this conversation, uh, well, holding your listeners as the legitimate other. So there you go. Let's, let's use that distinction. One thing that does come to, uh, I'll use the word to mind, is in the book, um, this notion of the mind to body elevator. And for those oh, listeners- yes, I love that. Oh, thank you, thank you. And for those listeners who um, you know, may or may not do some meditation or mindfulness, um, you know, what I talk about is um, you know, we, this, this notion that we live in our stories. So I talk about that as a cognitive domain. We live in our stories, and we've already spoken about that before, you know, our self-narration and what's going on in our head. And there's this idea of this thing, you know, this notion again of the quiet mind. So how do we actually take quiet in our mind? And a, and a metaphor I would give the listeners is take the elevator from your mind to your body. And if you're doing some mindfulness or sitting, just resting is picture that you and this is somewhat existential. So I, I get that, that you walk into the elevator and it's in your head. You're on the top floor. And you press B for basement. And you literally, and it is existential, picture yourself going down into your body and that's where the elevator is. 
And then I also share this idea that our stories live in us. And what do I mean by that is our stories actually, uh, we would both believe, I know Deanne, live in our nervous system, in our physiology, in our bodies. And this idea of taking the elevator from your mind to your body or the B for basement, B for body, whichever you prefer, that's where we can get in touch with the stories that live in us. Now then what we do have to do is press T for top floor or 13 or whatever, but let's go T for top floor or M for mind. So you go back up because we need to make meaning of it in language and we make meaning in language through our cognitive domain. So yes, yeah, so, so to close, if there was one other thing I would like to leave your listeners with is this notion, this idea, this metaphor of taking the elevator from your mind to your body. And I truly hope that helps your listeners. That's beautiful. Thank you very much for sharing that. that and I must admit, when I read that in the book, I absolutely loved that. Um, I think we've got to the end now, so we might um, call it a bit of a, uh, an end there. So thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll be back with my next podcast in two weeks, which will be the 6th of February. So I'll be talking to you all then. Thank you. Thank you for joining me this episode on the For Sake of What podcast. If you'd like to know more about what I do, feel free to visit my website, leadingandbeing.com, or to visit the For Sake of What website, for the sake of what.world. Otherwise, you can connect with me on Instagram at leadingandbeingcoaching, or feel free to drop me an email, Deanne, D-E-A-N-N-E, at for the sake of what.world. Until next time, bye.